All right, let's, um, let's continue praying. Heavenly Father, you have provided us with all things needed for life and faith. Father, you have given us food and drink, shelter and cover, work and rest. You've given us relationships, family, friends, brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, all of this comes from your hand. Our very bodies, though we call them ours, were neither made by nor are sustained in any way by our own efforts, but are direct and special gifts from you, our creator and sustainer. We live in this body by your providence. Our life to come is no differently situated. Everything needed for the salvation of our souls has been provided us by you. Christ's life, suffering, death, burial, and resurrection to glory have all been accomplished that the merits of each step might be bequeathed to us. Our life before you is Christ's life. Our suffering before you is Christ's suffering. Our death and our burial before you, O oh God, is Christ's death and burial. In our resurrection, we will rise only as an echo because Christ rose before us in bestowing us resurrection life. All that we have in this world and the next is of you, and you ask us to pray continually for our needs and those of the world, showing our gratitude for these graces and acknowledging the only true source from which they can be supplied. Father, we pray for our brothers and sisters worldwide who comprise your church, this bride of Christ. We pray that you would take her who was unremarkable, without any outstanding characteristics to commend herself to you, and would you transform her into the very image of her Lord and Savior. May you beautify her in holiness and joy, turning her weeping into gladness and her sorrow into joy. Fill her with love for her husband, Christ, and a desire to serve and honor him in all things. We pray that your church would grow and prosper and become a means and a mechanism for your outworking in the world. That we, your sinful people, would be so transformed by our conversions that we would be fit vessels for kingdom use to the benefit of our brothers and sisters, and to the honor and glory of our triune God. Lord, you rule over all earthly powers, yet are familiar with our poverty. Lord, would you defend the weak and the fatherless? Lord, uphold the cause of the poor and the oppressed. Rescue the needy and support those who are going through various trials. Help us to be willing to suffer with and for those in need. 
Lord, we pray for our church that you would draw us to Christ and make manifest in our lives all the bounty of his grace and blessing. How palely we reflect our master and how we desire that likeness would grow. Bend and shape us, prune and water us, transform us from our worldly states into creatures fit for heaven, pure, holy, filled with love and faith and hope. How we long for that final purging of the old man and the death of sin in our members. How we long to be completely in your will, dead to all that offends you and alive to Christ and his righteousness. Bring your kingdom quickly, Lord, and complete that good work that you have begun in us. We pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. Amen. Our scripture this morning, Matthew, right? Just a big sort of overview, a big brief snapshot. This is a pithy, it's like almost a staccato kind of, um, of expression that Jesus gives here. Like literally, it's our Father in the heavens. Let be hallowed your name. Let come your kingdom. Let be done your will um, as in heaven on earth. That's literally how it goes. Let be hallowed. Let come. Let be done. Your, your, your name, kingdom, will. Those first three petitions, they go together. They intertwine with each other. You can't have one without the other. A way of understanding this uh, that I think is helpful is hallowing the name. God hallowing his name sets the entire agenda. Another way of saying that is glorify himself. The establishment of the rule and the reign of God in the hearts of men and women follows this agenda, this sort of big picture vision as the means that it unfolds. And then finally, men and women subjected to the will of God is the visible expression of this kingdom that exists for his name. It's the fruit. And that's what we'll look at today. Would you stand with me? For the reading of God's word. Matthew 6. Jesus says, pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would give us ears to hear, eyes to see what you have for us today. What you are calling us to. What you have done in us. What you are going to do through us. Father, help us to see your gracious, merciful, good work 
and how that changes who we are. How that transforms us and our situations, wherever we might find ourselves. And we pray that you do all this through your spirit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. You have a seat. So what's the will of God for my life? That's the question, right? What's God's will? It's kind of an exciting question that can get you, that can get you sort of going in the morning. It's an understandable question. You want to know what his plans for you might be, right? Where will he take me? What will he do with me? When will he do it? It all has this sort of air of, it's kind of the future. You might pray for the Lord to reveal his will to your kids. I'm sure that y'all do that. I mean, sometimes with a certain tone, oh, Lord, help them. Show them, sweet Jesus. Pray for your friends. You might pray for your coworkers. You might pray for your church. Lord, show them your will. In this case, the will of God can become kind of an, a speculative preoccupation. We can treat it more like, more like this quest, right? this adventure. Something to be arrived at. Let me ask you this. How much time do you spend thinking, praying about doing the will of God now? That's a little bit scarier. Now we're talking about action. This might be more of a struggle. Doing the will of God, we can find more daunting than finding it. Finding it's more fun. Sometimes trying to find it is sort of our way of delaying doing it. It gives us some room. It gives us some space. But then you start trying to do it, and then you, that's when you discover that it's more difficulty. You might find that your devotion to it is short-lived. Right? Other things fill you. Other things, commitments distract you, divide you. Opposition can chase you away from it. You get intimidated when people or situations sort of kind of look with a condemning disgust and you're concerned for something so sort of pedantic. And your motivation wanes and dries up. 
But that state of affairs, right? we don't want to look at that. We don't like to think about that. We certainly don't like to feel any of those things. But that state of affairs, that struggle is precisely why Jesus calls us to pray for God's will to be done. He's not simply calling us to pray about knowing it. He's not simply praying that, it, that we would do it. If you listen carefully to his prayer, he's praying that the Father would see to it that it is done in us. There's the real punch of this prayer. It's not a prayer for you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's a prayer for you to depend on him. And it's because God calls himself our father. He has made us, or made himself our father. Out of that, Jesus says, you've got to pray this. You've got to pray your will be done. What I want to do this morning, as we look at Matthew 6.10, because it's brief, right? I mean, what are you going to say about that? <laughs> Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you very much. Goodbye, everybody. Right? Oh, there's a lot that we can say about it. A lot of stuff there. I thought that what might be helpful this morning is simply to... See what an answer to that prayer might look like. And we're going to see precisely, well, well, yes, precisely, not exhaustively, what an answer to that prayer looks like in the one who commanded us to pray it, Jesus. This is just really brief. We're going to look at devotion, opposition, and motivation all through the lens of Jesus. Jesus calls us to pray, your will be done. He's telling us to pray that God the Father would strengthen devotion to his will. How do we see that in Jesus? Well, we see it, this devotion worked out in his view of God's will. And it's a, it's a unique kind of a, a vision of, well, maybe not unique, because the psalmist said this kind of stuff. But John chapter 4, and you can just jot this down, because there'll be several verses that we're going to go to, all right? John chapter 4, verse 34. Here's what Jesus said about God's will. John 4.34, Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Recall that the context here is the woman at the well. Jesus is tired and hungry. Remember that? In fact, that's going to be a theme of what we'll see this morning. Jesus is tired and hungry. 
doing and accomplishing, those two things, you know what they were for him? This is interesting. They were provision. Doing and accomplishing. That's activity. You need fuel for activity. You need something coming in for stuff to go out. But Jesus, he takes those two things and squashes them together. The doing and the accomplishing, that is his sustenance. That is his food. That fueled him. That energized him. That enlivened him. That propelled him and directed him. Todd, the will of your father. We're praying that he would he would do something in us so that that becomes our food. Something that we're hungry for. That sates us. That fills us. You see that in Christ. Another way you see this devotion worked out is in sincerity. Two verses here, both in John chapter 5. John 5, 19 and John 5, 30. Now listen to both of these. Just hear these. So in John 5, 19, here's Jesus. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. John 5, 30, he says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. And my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Do you hear? In those very similar statements, a singular focus that Jesus has. Twice he says, I can do nothing. I mean, that's, that might be hard for us to get our heads around. Because we, we build our lives on getting stuff done. But here Jesus, he brings together these very odd, sort of these intersections, very odd sayings, ideas, sort of brought, mixed together. I can do nothing. Twice he says that. He spells out, I think, what that means in that last statement. I seek not my own will. His will is pushed aside. You don't have two wills that become the focus. There's one. That's the will of the Father. What we're seeing there is this resolute conviction. This side of heaven, as we're struggling with sin, you might hear what Jesus is saying there. I can do nothing of my own accord. 
I can do nothing. I seek not my own will. It's easy for you and I to hear that in these sort of legalistic, ideal tones. But that would be a mistake to hear Jesus that way. That would actually mar and distort what he's actually saying, what he's actually showing us. What we're actually seeing in Jesus do that, in Jesus say those things, we're actually seeing humanity living as God intended. Do not forget, people of God, that Jesus is a man. Fully God, fully man. We see in Jesus, in the flesh, filled with the Spirit, walking by faith. Not faith because of his sin. He had no sin. But living in constant trust and dependence on the Father. That is what it means to be a human being. That's what humanity was created to be. We're getting to see the way it's supposed to be in all of its order, in all of its harmony. There is something beautiful about this. I mean, have, have you seen someone living out conviction that you admired? I mean, certainly there are convictions that can be grotesque, right? But to see someone living out these virtues, faith, hope, and love, in, I mean, in the, in the, in the context of great difficulty, even, I don't know, so quite often when we talk about that, we talk about like a, a, an old aunt. I don't know why it's always an old aunt or a grandmother or somebody. That was just, they were a rock. Right? They were an oak. We admire that because we're like, we're like that. Right? I mean, do you get what I'm saying? There's a sense, you, there's a feeling, a sense of the beauty that you're actually beholding here. We're seeing it in Jesus, in his sincerity. And he even does this in the midst of suffering. Twice in Matthew 26. 26, 39, he says, and going a little further, he fell on his face and he prayed. Remember, this is in the garden. My, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And just four verses later in 42, again for the second time he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. That is resolute conviction. 
letting everything go and holding fast only to him. That's what we see Jesus doing in devotion. The second thing that we're praying for when we pray like this, when we pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, is we're praying for the Father to confront all opposition to his will. (sighs) That gets really scary, especially if you're hanging around Christ. In Matthew 4, you see this. Matthew 4, then Jesus was led, this is uh, 4, 1 through 11. We won't read all of it, I don't think. But Matthew 4 uh, begins, then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil, and after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Jesus is hungry an awful lot. This points up to his full identification with us. He felt what it was to be in this body. All of the stuff that beats against it. He was hungry. But then, notice what he did. In Matthew 4, 3, the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We heard him already say this. My food is to do the will of him who sent me to accomplish his works. And now we see him apply that in the midst of the onslaught of opposition. Satan does this a couple of times. This enemy does this a couple of times. He challenges, he tries to sort of pit father against son. But it's not happening. He tries to divide Jesus, but it can't happen. Each time, in 4 through 7, the devil comes and says to him, and then Jesus says back, it's written. In 4, 8 through 10, the devil come, comes and says to Jesus, and then Jesus says, it's written. Interestingly enough, these three times kind of neatly may correspond to the first three petitions. In the second one, Satan, um, or excuse me, In the third one, Satan presents to Jesus all the kingdoms. And Jesus says, no way. I'm not going to worship you. I'm not going to pursue all these other kingdoms. I'm worshiping my Father alone. And his kingdom is all that matters. Each time what you see Jesus doing is confuting the enemy. But he also calls the enemy out. Right now that's direct. Here's Satan coming at him. And we see something a little bit different. And this gets really uncomfortable in John chapter 8. Jesus calls them out. He reveals them. He exposes them. There he's talking to all the Pharisees, right, the leaders. And listen to what he says to them. 
If God were your father, this is 8 verse 32. If God were your father, right? The subtext is God's not your father, guys. If God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I am not of my own accord. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. 843. Why do you not understand what I say? It's because you cannot hear my word. Remember, Jesus already said, I hear what the Father tells me, and that's what I say. I see what the Father does, and that's what I do. We already saw that's his devotion. He's saying, why don't you guys see that? What's the problem? 844. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. And oh, by the way, your father, the devil, he's a murderer from the beginning. He doesn't stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he's a liar and he's the father of lies. But not me. I tell the truth. truth. I give you reality, and you don't believe me. Which one of you convicts me of sin? If I tell the truth, why do you not believe me? And then he gives the final sort of nail in the coffin, 847. Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. He's not your father. Why would you care? How could you hear? He exposes these enemies, this, op- this, op- this opposition to the will of the Father for what they are. So when we're praying this prayer, we're praying that the Father would do two things so far, that he would strengthen our devotion, that he would confront all opposition to his will through us. And the last thing is this motivation. We're praying for the Father to deepen motivation. From these two brief perspectives that we've looked at, we see in our, the life of our Savior what the psalmist declared. Psalm 40, verse 8. I delight to do your will, oh my God. Your law is within my heart. What motivated Jesus? Was there this sort of, there's this overriding motivation that we can see? We can, we see it at the beginning of John. John chapter 1, verses 14, 16, and 17. This gets at the heart of the whole, the whole program. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ, glory, 
grace, truth. That's what John says we are witnesses to, he and the others. It was right there before their eyes. What's the content of that witness? What's the content of that grace, that glory, and that truth? John 1.18, he says, No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. That is the overriding motivation of Christ. Taking of his Father's And making it known to all. This father that he was with for all eternity. Now making the father known to all. Revealing him and showing him. After looking at these three perspectives, again, brief as they are, I hope you see one thing that has been implied throughout this whole whole sermon. Jesus says, pray like this. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or literally, let be done your will as in heaven on the earth. As in heaven on the earth. How about this? John 6, 38. Here's what Jesus says. For I came down from heaven to do my own, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Get it? I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him up there who sent me. What we see is that Jesus answered that prayer. He is the full, perfect expression of the answer to that prayer. And that's good news for me and you. Because he pulls us in to this whole work. He makes us to share with him in all of this so that we have a reason to ask to make this petition. Here's what can be said of us. Here's the whole foundation of why Jesus praying this prayer or calling us to pray this prayer is even possible. In John 1, 12 through 13, 
He says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but implied the will of God. You can pray this prayer. You must pray this prayer because He has made you children. He is your Father. We've been granted that in Christ. So people of God, strengthen devotion. Let's pray that we confront opposition. Let's pray that we deepen that God will deepen this motivation. This is what we ask our Heavenly Father to do by His Spirit in us and outside of us and through us. Let's pray and we'll transition to the supper and to song. Father, again, we thank you for the work that you sent your Son to accomplish. And Lord Jesus, we praise you and exalt your name because you have accomplished it all. You are our hope, our only hope, that there is any chance that this prayer can and will be answered by our Father. Pray that you will foster in your people a vision for this, a longing for this. Pray that you will strengthen our faith in Christ more and more that we would believe it. We thank you for your goodness, your mercy, and your grace in him. Amen.